0: Take your Bible. We're going to finish up 1 Peter tonight. And if you would, t- turn to, again to chapter 5. And let's pick up where we left off this morning, verse number 10. The Bible says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Let's pray. Father, again, I pray tonight that, Father, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing unto you. Father, I pray that every syllable, every utterance that comes from my mouth would be from you. Father, that you would magnify yourself through your word by your Holy Spirit for your glory. Father, would you speak? In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to draw your attention here to the hope, the hope in spiritual warfare. We saw this morning the reality of spiritual warfare. I mean, the reality is there is an enemy, and that enemy is seeking whom he may devour. But here's the great news. We have a hope. You say, what is the hope? Well, how many of you agree God knew before there was a was that we were going to have battles? And so God made provision for us before there was a was. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, all the way from the garden, the Lord Jesus' provision was a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that his provision is his son. Now, I've said this to you a kajillion times, and I'm going to continue to say it to you. That Jesus Christ is all that God has given you. He's not giving you anything more. He'll never give you anything more. But you don't need anything more. Jesus Christ is sufficient. And so, when we look at this, we're going to see this through that lens. If you look at the first word of that verse, but. Now, why is that an important word? Because it contrasts what he's already said. So, in other words, in light of the spiritual warfare, in light of, we have an adversary. And in light of, we have a roaring lion that seeks whom he may devour. But, the grace of God, the God of all grace, And so what he does is he says, in light of what is reality, here's your hope. Now, I want you to see this with me because I want to break this down for you, okay? First thing we're going to look at is the assurance in spiritual warfare. Because if you understand these truths, you're going to have peace and you're going to have assurance when you go through these times of attack or trials or troubles. And so I want you to see this. The first thing you're going to see here is is an equipping hope. He says, but the God of all grace. Now, most of the time when we see the word grace, we automatically think, well, the unmerited favor of God. And as I've said to you once, if I've said it to you a thousand times, it is the unmerited favor of God. You couldn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But in this context, that's not what it's talking about. In this context, it's talking about the enabling or equipping power of God. In other words, the grace of God in this context is what equips you, what enables you. In other words, in the midst of you being under spiritual attack, what is God giving you to equip you in the midst of those attacks? Well, here's what he said, the God of all grace. Now, notice he didn't say the grace of God. He said the God of all grace. Now you say, what's the difference between the two? It's not that He gave you grace separate from Himself. In other words, He gave you Himself because He is all grace. Because remember, grace is not something, grace is someone. Grace is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what it says, the God of all grace, meaning that there is no grace separate from Him. Can I put it to you this way? God the Father has a monopoly on grace. And therefore, grace is in Him and Him alone. There is none other. There cannot be any other. It's found in Him. If you have Him, you have grace. If you don't have Him, you don't have grace. I mean, it's that simple. But yet, when you're going through these times of your life, if you have Him, you have all the grace of God You have all the grace that he is. Let me put it to you another way. You have all that he is, and I promise you all that he is is more than enough to take you through all that you're going through. And this is what it's saying here. Now, I want to read a quote that I found from an individual concerning this grace. And I want you to listen to this because this is a profound quote. Here's what he said about this grace that is an equipping hope. How can I have hope in this grace? Well, I want you to hear what he said. God's grace provides strength enough for every situation of life. Grace for living, grace for dying. Grace to deal with the penalty of sin and grace to overcome the power of sin. Grace to face persecution and grace to forgive the persecutor. Grace to see us through and grace to get us home. In other words, what are you saying? I'm saying that grace is enough. And so here's the reality. You have this equipping hope that you have the God of all grace. And so again, you don't have grace separate from Him. You have Him, therefore you have that grace. So this is the equipping hope. But I want you to see, secondly, an established hope. You say, what do you mean established? It's set in stone. You say, what's set in stone? who hath called us unto. In other words, you have this grace because you have him, because he called you. You see, this is an established hope. He's called you unto himself, called you unto an eternal glory, and when he called you unto himself and unto to an eternal glory, he called you into himself, which is grace. So, in other words, God worked on your behalf, bringing you into Himself, bringing you into that grace, and He came in you, and you became one with Him. God called you. This is talking about your salvation. How many of you agree today that when God saved you, God brought, him to, brought you to Himself? How many agree today when God saved you, He manifested His grace to you? And so now you and I have this established hope. Not only do I have an equipping hope, God enables me in every situation of life because He is all I need. But God has established something. God has established that I am one with Him. He's one with me. And listen, nothing can separate me from the love of God. No persecution. No trial. No trouble can separate me from the love of God. And so here is your hope in the midst of it. Now remember, Peter is concluding this letter to these persecuted believers. And he said, listen, you need to have this assurance in the midst of spiritual warfare that the God of all grace has called you, and because he's called you, you are established in him. But there's a third thing he mentions. Not only an equipping hope and an established hope, but an expected hope. He's called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So he called us. How many agree today when God saved you? He called you out of something. But he called you out of something to call you into something. All right, now remember, the first time we see this is in Deuteronomy. You remember God said, I have brought you out, being Egypt, Egypt, out from under the taskmasters, that I may bring you in to the land of Canaan. So God didn't just bring you out. God's going to get you in. Now, what is he saying here about getting us into what? Eternal glory. Now, what is this eternal glory? This is your future. You have grace present. You have hope present, but you also have a hope about your future. God called you. God sovereignly chose you. And when God called you and chose you, the Bible says, he that begun a work will what? Finish it. So therefore, God is going to perfect you. There is coming a day, folks, listen, You and I share in his glory here and now. You say, how is that? Well, remember, the Bible says when when we were lost, we all come short of what? the Glory of God. All right, but in salvation, Christ in you, the hope of what? So guess what? You already have his glory. But yet, perfected glory is what's still ahead for you. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying 1 John chapter 3 says there's going to be a day that you'll be made like Him. I'm telling you right now, folks, listen. Whatever glory we can enjoy here on earth in our relationship with the Lord does not touch what is ahead. So no matter what you are going through, I want you to hear me today. There's an expectation in your hope that ought to settle you, ought to enable you, ought to equip you, and ought to absolutely cause you to realize and keep your head lifted up to Him and say, hey, it don't matter what I'm going through now. What matters is I know what's ahead of me. And there is He has called you unto. He's eternal glory. See, this is what... It's all about. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you have this insight, you have this understanding concerning what God has done and who God is in your life, then here's the thing. It really doesn't matter what comes tomorrow. How many of y'all agree? I could die before I get off this pulpit. Can I tell you what I got to say about that? Glory! You say, why you say that? Because that's what it's going to end up. Listen to what Paul said. For me to live as Christ is what? For me to live as Christ is gain. But for me to die is gay. How could Paul say that? Because his life was so wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus that he knew that absent from the body to be present with the Lord was more of Christ. And Christ was far more important than his personal life. Are y'all hearing me say amen? You see, Peter says, you're going to be attacked. There's going to be spiritual warfare. But remember this. The God of all grace is who indwells you. He's the one that called you. I.e., he's the one that saved you. And he is the one that called you unto an eternal glory by Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? So now, this is the assurance in spiritual warfare. Let me show you secondly the accomplishment of spiritual warfare. How many of you agree that what Satan means for bad, God can use for good? Because remember the context here. The context here is under spiritual warfare, under the attacks of the enemy. And so here's what he says. He says that God has called you unto eternal glory by Jesus Christ. After that, you have suffered a while. Now, I want you to look at two things about this accomplishment of spiritual warfare. How is God going to use this in my life? The first thing you've got to understand is the duration of suffering. What does this word, word suffer a while mean? It means there's a duration that God knows. Let me put it to you another way. It's a season. It's not for eternity. In other words, it's a season. Every born-again child of God will go through seasons in their life. Everybody. And so you've got to understand that sometimes God will allow us to go through seasons. God will allow us to go through troubles or trials or persecutions. And so these folks that Peter is writing to Peter is writing to them and said, listen, you're going through a season. Nero is out to get you. But it's just a season. There's a duration. But notice, secondly, not only do you see the duration of suffering, you see the development through suffering. He says, once you go through this season, He said he's going to make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now I want to break this down for you, okay? But before I do, I want to ask this question today. As a born-again child of God, what should be our number one desire? To be happy or to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ? All right, so what is he saying here? Listen, he's writing this to encourage these folks. And he says, after you go through this season, here's gonna, what's going to be accomplished through it. And he gives four future tense things that's going to be accomplished after they go through this season. In other words, here's what he's saying. You're being attacked by the roaring lion. You're being attacked by the one that walks around seeking whom he may devour But I've got news for you. What he means for evil, I'm going to use for good. And I'm going to use it for the good of your life. And he said, here's what's going to come out of what you're going through. So let's break these four things down. Because, listen, as a true child of God, this is what you ought to desire more than anything. The first thing is, he's going to make us set. Now you say, what do you mean make us set? This is the word he uses here, perfect. It doesn't mean he's going to make us sinless perfect. i got news for you. The only time we're going to be sinless perfect is in our glorification. So what does this word mean? Here's what it means. It means to put in order. It means to put the pieces in order. It's translated this way in Luke's gospel concerning the disciples when it says they were mending their nets. Same Greek word is used here as perfect. So what does it mean? It simply means this. That it means that The disciples were putting their nets together. They were putting their nets in order. Now, let me ask you a question today. And I want us to be honest before the Lord today. How many of us in here today would agree that we have some mending that needs to be done to our spiritual nets? All right, so let me ask you a question. How many of us as child of God wants God to mend their nets? Or do you want God to mend your nets? No matter what he has to allow in your life. See, that's the thing. And so here's the thing. Here's what it means. It means that God, through these times of troubles in our life, he will send us through a process of mending our spiritual nets. He will mend them. He'll put our pieces together spiritually. That what? That you and I can be fully developed, fully grow in grace, and in knowledge. And so God will do this work in and through our life. Another word you could use for this is he's going to restore you back to your wholeness. Okay? So this is the first word. He's going to make you set. He's going to set you together. All right, the second thing is he's going to make you steadfast. Look what he says, to establish you. Now, what does this word establish mean? It's the same word used in in the Gospels when the Lord Jesus, it says of the Lord Jesus, he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. How many of you agree today? When Jesus Christ set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, the Pharisees were not going to deter him, Satan was not going to deter him, the Jews were not going to deter him, The world was not going to deter him. In other words, he was born to die, and he was born to go to Calvary, and he went to Calvary, and nothing and no one was going to deter him from going to Calvary. That's the word used here. So what it means is that God is going to use these times in your life not only to mend your spiritual nets, to set you aright, set you whole, But God is going to use it in your life to bring you to a place of being steadfast. In other words, He's going to bring you to a place of maturity whereby you don't become one that wavers with every circumstance of life that comes in your life. You're not blown by every wind of doctrine. You're not detoured by everything that comes along in your life. And so God's going to cause you to be steadfast in these times. So God's going to make us set. God's going to make us steadfast. God's going to make us strong. Look what he says here. He said, not only I'm going to make you perfect, make you established, but make you strengthened. Here's what you're going to find. In the midst of these times, you're going to find that you have supernatural strength that you really didn't know and haven't experienced fully in your life. Let me ask you a question today. How many of you have had times in your life that you may have went through things in your life And God in His supernatural strength empowered you through those times. And you look back and you say, I can't believe I stayed up in the midst of that. You see, here's what you learn. You learn that when God sets you in a path to mend your nets and to make you to a place where you're going to be steadfast and not, not... In other words, you'll become immovable in your faith and in your trust of Him. That God strengthens you supernaturally by His own strength. And can I tell you, you'll learn more of God in times like this than you'll ever learn of God when everything's going okay. And so Peter's writing to encourage these folks and said, listen, this, this is what's going to be accomplished through your suffering. But let me give you the last thing real quick. He's going to make us set. He's going to make us steadfast. He's going to make us strong, but he's going to make us stable. Watch what it says here to settle you. Now, the word you is not in the original Greek text. If if you have a Bible, it may be in italics in your Bible. That means the translators added it for purpose of interpretation. But what it means is, I'm going to make you perfect, I'm going to make you established, I'm going to make you strengthen, and I'm going to make you settle. And here's what it means. The word settle means to put you on a firm foundation. So in other words, God's going to make you stable. Now, the great passage that we could use to help you understand this is the passage where the Lord says some people build their house upon sand and some build their house upon a rock. All right? The ones that build their house upon the sand, the storm comes, what happens? But when you build your house upon a rock, what happens? All right, so here's what God's doing every day of your life. He's building you in himself who is the rock. And so God is trying to stabilize you. God's trying to put your spiritual feet on a firm foundation. God's trying to plant your spiritual roots deep within the earth that nothing can uproot you. God's trying to establish you in such a way that nothing can move you, nothing can shake you, nothing can rattle you, nothing can disturb you. I've got news for you today. That's what rest in Christ is all about and so here it's what God is saying Peter is saying to these believers listen you're being attacked you're going to be attacked but aren't you glad today the God of all grace is enough for you aren't you glad today that he called you unto himself aren't you glad today that he called you unto eternal glory Aren't you glad today that he's accomplishing something in you that as a born again believer you ought to long and desire for and he is going to make you set. He's going to mend your spiritual nets. He's going to make you steadfast. He's going to make you strong. And he's going to put you on a firm foundation that you can be settled and never be moved. And this is what Peter is saying to encourage these believers. Look at the third thing. So not only do we find here the assurance in spiritual warfare and the accomplishment, but notice the adoration in spiritual warfare. I mean, it's almost like Peter writes verse 10 and pauses and has a hallelujah fit. I mean, read it. He he pauses and he said, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is Peter doing here? Peter is looking at the hope that we have in the midst of spiritual warfare and says, look what God's accomplishing. Look what God's doing in you. Look what God's wanting to do in you. He said, to Him be dominion. To Him be glory. Let me show you three things about this verse. The first thing is the recognition in worship. How could Peter say this? Because Peter recognizes, now listen to me, that the work God's doing is worth more and is more valuable than the troubles that the people are going through. Did y'all hear that say amen? You see, you've got to recognize You've got to recognize that God's trying to do a work. Even if the enemy means it for evil, God will work it out for good. And so Peter just rejoices. So you see the recognition, then you see the rejoicing. It says that he, he, to him be the glory. To Him be the glory and the dominion. See, when you rejoice, you can see things from a heavenly perspective, a spiritual perspective. And no matter what you're going through, you can look up and say, Lord whatever you're doing, whatever you're allowing it, to you be the glory. And I can rejoice, dominion, that you are king. You are in control. You are sovereign. You are dominion. Because a lot of times when we go through hard times, we forget that God's still on the throne. And Peter says, to him be glory. To him be to me. Notice the rest. For how long? Forever and ever. Lord, to you be glory, to you be dominion, forever and ever and ever, no matter what I go through. All things work together for, to them that what? And are called according to his. What's the word all mean? All. If I believe that. How much easier is it to say to you be all the glory and dominion. Forever and ever. And I believe Peter just came to the place. He didn't know what else to say. And he just said, Amen. It's amazing. Well, look lastly tonight, the acknowledgement in spiritual warfare. Peter concludes this letter with essentially three salutations. I'm just going to deal with one of them tonight. It's found in verse 12. By Savanus a faithful brother unto you. Now, who is Savanus? I won't get into the deep details of Savanus, but Savanus was one of Peter's right-hand men. Most believe, and I would agree, that Savanus was the one that actually delivered this letter to these believers that Peter was writing to. And here's what it says. I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying. So, I want you to look at this conclusion that Peter gives here. He acknowledges some things. The first thing, it's an encouraging conclusion. Because here's what he says I have written briefly exhorting. The word exhorting means to exhort, but here in the idea of encouragement. Because how many agree today? When they've been persecuted, they needed to understand their hope in Christ. And so, Peter's just reminding them. I'm exhorting you to be encouraged. I'm exhorting you to understand that even though you're going through what you're going through, God is doing a work. And God is on the throne. And so you have an encouraging conclusion to this. But don't you see this? An express conclusion. He said, and testify that that is the true grace of God. Now, what does he mean by testifying? He's not just saying, I'm telling you and proclaiming you that this is the true grace of God that you know. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, I am proof, I am testifying from proof that this is the true grace of God. In other words, how many of you agree today, if anybody knew the grace of God in times of trouble, Peter would be the one? Paul also, would you agree? But how many of you agree Peter would understand? And so, what Peter is saying is, I'm writing to you not from knowledge, but from experience. I am writing to you to testify unto you that this grace I am teaching you and this grace I am encouraging you with, it is the true grace of God. In other words, let me put it to you another way it's enough, it's sufficient, it is the only true grace. But then watch thirdly and lastly what he says An established conclusion. Wherein, now watch what he says. you stand. So he's writing to these persecuted believers and he said, listen, this true grace that I've experienced, this true grace that I know in times of trouble, this true grace that I'm expressing to you, is the true grace in which you now stand. What's this word stand mean? It means that you abide in. This is the grace you abide in. This is the grace that God has made you one with. This is the grace that God has identified you with. This is the grace that God has attached you with. This is the grace that God has given you Himself. This is the grace that is the only grace. It's the grace of God. It's God of all grace. It is the grace that you have and it's the grace that you now stand. so here's what he's telling them. Can I put it to you? Very simple. Peter, saying, you're going through some tough times. But yet this God of all grace, you're abiding in him. And can I tell you what I believe he's saying, undertones of it? You're going to be fine. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. Just keep pressing towards the mark of His high calling. If you're here tonight and you're saved, no matter what you go through, You are established in his divine grace. And I promise you, you're going to win. Can I tell you something, folks? I've read the end of the book. We win. May we go through a season? Sure. But what David say? Joy cometh in the morning. Amen? How many of you glad for the hope that we have in Christ? Father, thank you Father, you didn't give us something. You gave us someone yourself. And you, the someone, is our grace. And it's all the grace that we need, it's grace to walk us through. It's grace that got us in. It's grace that will take us all the way. Every time that, Father, any of our lungs inhale the air that you created, it's a work of your grace. Because, Father, the very breath that we breathe, we don't deserve. And you enable us to breathe. And Father, I know that because at any moment, you could determine that's his last breath. so, Father, every breath we take, you're testifying to us that you have a work you want to do. You have a purpose in us at that moment of that day. Father, my prayer is we wouldn't work against you, but we would let you work in us whatever you desire to do. To mend our spiritual nets. To make us steadfast in the faith where we not moved, To make us strong in our faith. Or to put our spiritual feed on a firm foundation that no storm in our life can blow us astray. You're doing that in every born-again believer every day of our life. May we embrace it. May we thank you for it. And may we, like Peter, be able to say, to you be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.